New Year, everyone. Trust we had a restful break. So nice to see our wonderful faces. Well, um, our theme for this year is consolidation. Consolidation. And just like um, Sister Uche did at the beginning, just to, what do we really mean by that? You could check different dictionaries, uh, two or three main thoughts about consolidation. One is to strengthen, strengthen. The other is to unite, to bring together. And that's what this year is going to be, a strengthening of what we have, digging deeper, bringing things together, so that we can move further. And um, there were two main scriptures. The first, Second Chronicles chapter 1 and verse 1, from the American Standard Version. It says, as David's son Solomon consolidated his administration, the Lord his God was with him to make him very successful. So, some other translations render that, and you could bring that up in the KJV, ISV, International Standard Version, is the one that says he consolidated his administration. In um, KJV, it says, as David's son, Solomon, Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. So you see that strengthening is used here. So like we said, we want to strengthen what we already have, dig deeper, dig our roots deeper and stronger. And um, the other scripture that um, talks about our theme is in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verse 31. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Moffat's translation of that, Acts 9, 31. It says, now all over Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, the church enjoyed peace. It was consolidated, inspired by reverence for the Lord and by its invocation of the Holy Spirit and so increased in numbers. And so increased in numbers. All over Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, the church enjoyed peace. It was consolidated. So the body of Christ was consolidated. You could bring that up also, Acts 9.31 in the King James Version. It says was strengthened. Acts 9.31 consolidated inspired by reverence for the lord and by its invocation of the holy spirit and so increased in numbers one thing we clearly see in both cases is that as a result of this consolidation the bible talks about solomon became very successful the bible talks about the church increasing in numbers so what's going to happen with consolidation its growth its expansion its increase. That's what consolidation always brings. And, um, you know, like we said, one of the main thoughts when you talk about consolidation is strengthening. And, uh, yeah, Raymond, Nigeria, we have our goals for the year. We have things we are trusting God to be able to do, and we will do them because God is our help. He's our strength. Thank God for that. We want to uh, 
consolidate our goals. Consolidate on them. We want to consolidate on our structures. We want to consolidate on our policies. But you know what? The most important thing we can consolidate on is you, is me. It's consolidate. People get consolidated. People get strengthened. And that's why for, I'm going to start off a series. Uh, it's going to take just three weeks for me to get it done. And I want to talk about how to be strong in the Lord. How to be strong in the Lord. You know, like we said, consolidation speaks of strengthening primarily. Also bringing together. So this strengthening, how can somebody be strengthened? How can uh, each of us, all of us, be strengthened? Amen. Because that's the primary consolidation. If you are consolidated personally, then every other thing, and in every other area, we will be consolidated. Yes, we're going to do trainings that speak of how we can be better Timothys. But I feel like let's start off along our theme and let's uh, start off with something that builds each of us. Not in relation to work, but in relation to our own lives. Because, look, we're not out for what we can get from you. We're out for what we can give to you. And we want you to be a better person. We want you to be a more successful person. We want you to be developed. Not just so you can better serve Rema. Yeah, we want you to better serve Rema. But... We want Rema to better serve you. And we want to put you first. Just like we know you are also putting Rema first. So Rema wants to put you first. Your own life. Your own success. Your own growth. Your own development. Your own establishment. And so like I said, I'm talking about how to be strong in the Lord. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians. So like I said, a series on how to be strong in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. It's good to read scriptures, right? I could quote it, but I want us to read it. It won't hurt, will it? Ephesians 6.10. The Bible says here, reading from the King James Version, it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you because this is another year, 2022. We're so grateful for this year. Indeed, it's a year of consolidation for us. Thank you for the things, the goals we have that are in front of us. We trust you that you help us and that we will achieve every single one of them. They'll all come to pass. Thank you because you want our lives consolidated. And as we look into your word, starting today, the next uh, sessions on how to be strong in the Lord. Thank you for giving us insight. Thank you because we are not just hearers of the word alone, but we are doers of the same. We mix faith with your word, and as a result, we profit by it. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? All right. So talking about how to be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. You know, God won't tell us to do what we can't do. So if God says be strong, it's because we can be. That means you can be weak if you want to. 
You can be a weak believer if you want to be a weak believer. It's up to you. But God doesn't want us to be weak believers. In Psalm 27 verse 1, the Bible says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So you see, he's our strength. He's the strength of our lives. And that's why the Bible says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. So, first, we can be strong in the Lord. We can be. The choice is ours. His strength is there to consolidate us. His strength is there to establish us. But the responsibility rests with us. Whether or not we are strong in him. Now, how do we get to be strong? When you talk about somebody being strong, if a person is going to be strong in the Lord, how exactly does that happen? Now, in 1 John, we see a clue about how this strength comes. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'll read from verse 12. The Bible says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Notice, in relation to them being strong, he said they are strong and the word of God abides in them. And he says, and ye have overcome the wicked one. You see, to overcome the wiles of the devil, to overcome the attacks of the devil, to live a victorious life, it takes divine strength. The context of Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So it's in being strong with the Lord that we're able to overcome the devil, overcome his forces. And in relation to them being strong, he said, I've written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. So what will make a person strong is God's word abiding in that person. Now, God's word doesn't abide in us to the degree that we read it. We ought to read it, no doubt. But God's word doesn't abide in us to the degree that we quote it. Nothing wrong with quoting God's word. There's no quota of scripture on the class of Jesus. He quoted profusely. Quoted profusely. So nothing wrong with quoting. Amen. You know, some people make it like it's a sin to quote scriptures. I guess maybe it's a sin not to. Praise God. You know, it's not, nothing wrong with quoting. Yeah. But you see... That's not what abide means. God's word abides in us to the degree that it governs our lives. To the degree that we practice it. Now remember in Daniel chapter 11 verse 32, the Bible says that those who know their God, what will happen to them? They shall be strong and they shall do exploits. Amen. The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. So you see, how to be strong is by knowing God. Same thought we saw in 1 John 2, 13 to 15. It's the knowledge of God's word that builds spiritual strength, that builds stamina into a believer. Now, there are three key areas, three key areas 
that are pertinent. And if any believer is going to be successful in his work with God, if he's going to be strengthened, if he's going to be consolidated, amen, to live a victorious Christian life over the onslaughts of the enemy, walking in close fellowship with the Father, doing God's will on the earth, fulfilling the purpose of God for his life. Three key truths that we need to be established in. You know, the Bible says, believe in the Lord thy God, and so shall you be established. Or if you like, so shall you be consolidated. Second Chronicles 20, 20. says, believe in his prophets, and so shall you prosper. In Isaiah 7, 9, he said, because they will not believe, they shall not be consolidated. They shall not be established. So it's God's word that consolidates us. It's God's word that establishes us. And keep three key truths that every believer ought to study on constantly and be established in. Now, I'll start with the first of them, and I'll continue. And with three uh, sessions, we should be done with this. So the very first one is this. So simple, but my observation has been that 90% of preachers don't understand this. And what's it? The new birth. The new birth. That's the first key truth that we need to be established in. We need to understand very well. Three of them, like I said, three key areas where we need to be, uh, to have solid, great understanding. There are some things that if you don't know them, it won't affect the quality of life you live on the earth. Believe me. If you don't know how tall, Abraham was. It doesn't really matter. If you don't know how, uh, whether how bearded Aaron was, you know the Bible talks about went to the his his beard. How big was that beard? If you don't know how broad David's chest was, it doesn't really matter. When you get to heaven, you could ask him, and you could take a tape measure and measure it. You know that's not so important. If you don't know who the Antichrist is, well, I don't know either. Praise God. So some things don't really matter so much. There are certain truths that not knowing them won't stop you from getting to heaven and won't stop you from having heaven on earth. But listen, there are some truths that if you know them, they may cause you to get to heaven faster than you should have. They may cut your life short on the earth. They may hinder your effectiveness as a believer. And one of such truths is what we're looking at, the new birth. Three of them we'll be talking about, but the first one, the new birth. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, and I'll just read it. Well, it's good to read. Paul said to his son Timothy, he said, Till I come, give attendance to reading. So it's good to read, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I was in a church service one time. This was over 20 years ago, many, many years back. And I heard a preacher say something. He said, the Bible says there, therefore, if any man be in Christ. And this is what that preacher said. He said, he should be a new creature. He said, some of you, you are born again, but you are not being a new creature. You are not doing new things. You are not living. I felt like crying. He made it sound like it's about a change of conduct. No, it's not. The new birth is an actual rebirth of the human spirit. 
Now, will it produce a different conduct? It sure will. If we walk in the light of it. But the moment a person comes into Christ, he is made a brand new creature. A brand new creature. That word new is the word kainos. It means a kind that never existed before. A new species. A new species. A new species of viruses was found a few years ago, right? And has thrown the whole world in a state of panic. Let me tell you something. A new species of men are on the earth today. And if you're born again, you're one of them. It's not what you make yourself. It's what God made us. When you took Jesus as your Savior and confessed him as your Lord, your spirit was recreated. It was recreated. It was recreated. You've got the very substance of God's being on the inside of you. You've got the very life and the very nature of God in you. Amen. We're a new man. You are not who you used to be. That old man is dead. He's passed away. There's a new man in its place. E.W. Kenyon made a statement in his book, The Father and His Family. I read that in 1990. And um, I couldn't forget that statement. He said this, that every denomination is known by its view of the new birth. And it's true. Every church is known by its view of the new birth. Some people teach that at the new birth, man is saved from outward sin. But that the root of sin is still in his heart. And then he needs a second work of grace, which they called sanctification. And that at sanctification, that's when the root of sin gets removed. I heard that in the 80s and I just wondered, okay, what if a man dies, you know, before he gets that second work of grace, where will he go if the root of sin is still in him? Listen, there's no such thing, you know. Does the Bible teach sanctification? It does. Holy living, Bible teaches it. But you see, sanctification is both an instantaneous as well as an ongoing progressive work as well as a future work. You see, at the new birth, our spirits were sanctified. Then there's a sanctification that continues throughout our Christian lives as we renew our minds with the word, present our bodies to God, feed our spirits. And then finally, a time is going to come when we'll have glorified bodies and that sanctification will be consummated. But 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, But of him are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So the believer, the moment he takes Jesus as his savior and confesses him as his Lord, he becomes sanctified. I heard somebody say one time that holiness is what you do, but righteousness is who you are, is a positional truth. That's not true. It's not true. It's not true. I respect the person that said it, but I beg to disagree. Both righteousness and holiness are both who you are. And both righteousness and holiness are also what you do. The new creature is created after God in righteousness and true holiness. So, we are made righteous by virtue of the new birth. Just like we are made holy by virtue of the new birth. Now, because I am righteous, I am now to do righteousness. And also, because I'm holy, I am now to do holiness. But you see, these things, they are who I am already now, legally. 
because I am in Christ. So at the new birth, that old man passed away. You are not the same person you used to be. I read one time, I was a secondary school boy, born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, preaching. Uh, I was studying one day, and I read where Paul said, 2 Corinthians 7, 2, I've wronged no man, I've defrauded no man. And I said, no, 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 that can't be true. Paul, everybody's talking, you're talking. You wronged no man. How? You wronged so many men. You wrecked havoc. You killed Christians. You consented to the death of Stephen. The men that stoned him, you held their clothes, you know, so that they can throw the stone well. So you encouraged his death. You had letters to put Christians in prison. You know, I, I thought I was feeling cool that I knew a lot of Bible history. I, I knew Paul's CV. When on the inside of me, I heard, shut up, young man. The fellow you are talking about died on the road to Damascus. And then I saw it. When he said he had wronged no man, he's talking about himself, Paul, a new creature in Christ Jesus. See, whatever you did in the past has been remitted. Did you know that God actually does not merely forgive the sinner's sins? No, forgiveness doesn't belong to the sinner. Forgiveness belongs to the saint when he breaks fellowship. Forgiveness means like you did ten things. Three of them were wrong. Then we remove the three that were wrong so that the seven can stand. No. Everything the sinner was was wrong. He was wrong. The good works of a spiritually dead man are dead. They are evil. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, the Bible says, All our righteousness is as filthy rags or menstrual cloth before God. So in ourselves, everything the sinner was was wrong. He was a child of the devil. I say this, and usually jolts people. People don't go to hell because they sin. That's not why. People go to hell because they are sinners. Man's problem was not his bad conduct. Yeah, was man's bad conduct an issue? It was an issue. It still is an issue. But that's not the real problem. That's just part of the fruit of the problem. Man's real problem is that he had a wrong nature. That's why if a man were to keep the Ten Commandments, do everything right, be full of good works, give to the poor, you know, do all that all his life, never lied, lived morally upright, did everything just right, he's still down, go to hell. Why? Because he has a wrong nature. He's a child of Satan. He's a child of Satan. That's why man cannot be saved by changing his conduct. He can't save himself. He has to have a new life imparted to him. The penalty for his sins must be paid. And that's what Jesus did for us. So at the new birth, our spirits were reborn. That old man stopped existing. God remitted your past. He blotted it out. He wiped it out. So that in the mind of God, nothing in the past existed anymore. Now there are believers who let the devil hold them in condemnation over things that happened in their lives before they got saved. You know, some don't seem to know the difference between repentance and doing penance. They think that we are saved merely from the power of sin or the eventual uh, uh, penalty of going to hell. Yes, we are saved from that, but that's not all we're saved from. Our past has been remitted. So you're a new creature. You're a new creature. You're a new species with the life of God in you. Now, there's a statement we make, and this will bring the point home. 
You know, we talk about people giving their lives to Christ. And I understand that. What we really mean is uh, uh, committing to Jesus' lordship. But I never like to use that expression. Why don't I like to use it? It paints a picture as though, you know, I'm giving my life to Christ. I have something, so I'm now giving him. Christ needs my life, you know, uh, and I have it to give, so I give it to him. The truth is this. Christ, God is the giver. We are the receivers. Man was bankrupt. You know, we've presented the new birth as though it's a commitment to stop sinning. That's what the new birth is. Do you know that many so-called Christians are not really born again? Many so-called Christians only mentally assent to the reality of eternal life. They don't have it. They only mentally assent to the truth of the new birth. They are never saved. They were never saved. That's why Jesus will say to some people, depart from me, I never knew you. They were never saved. They were never saved. What gets a person saved? Romans 10, 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's by putting our faith in the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, in his death, his burial and his resurrection and confessing with our mouths that Jesus is our Lord. That's what recreates our spirits. So, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So God is the one that gave. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So God is the giver. Man is the receiver. Man receives the life of God. Man receives the nature of God. And where does it go? It goes into the man's spirit. There's a statement I make, and I usually get slacks when I make it. And what's that statement? I say it. I, I'm sinning all I want to sin. I'm lying all I want to lie. I'm cursing all I want to curse. I'm smoking all I want to smoke. I'm doing all the wrong stuff I want to do. Someone say, huh? Yeah. You see, the truth is this. I don't want to do wrong anymore. Neither do you if you're born again. My spirit has been recreated. My spirit has been recreated. The one two for sin is gone. And if it's not gone in you, then you're not saved. But if you're born again, it's gone. Yes, we still have the sin nature in our flesh. But you are not your flesh. The real you is a spirit being. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause to faint not. But though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So we know there's an inward man and there's an outward man. Who's this inward man? He's the spirit. We know from 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that man is a spirit, he has a soul, and he lives in a body. So the real you is a spirit being. Now the new birth is not the rebirth of the human soul. The new birth is not the rebirth of the human body. If you were bald-headed before you got saved, you're still bald-headed after. If uh, you knew a lot of mathematics before you got saved, you'll still know a lot of it right after. You know, if you used to think in a certain way, it wasn't your mind that got saved. It wasn't your soul that got saved. The saving of the soul is a process. That's the same as the renewing of the mind. That's after the new birth. The new birth is instantaneous and it happens in a man's spirit. Now in the Greek of the New Testament, there are at least four different words translated life. There is a word, suche. 
Suche means natural or human life. There's another one, bios. Bios means, from where we have biology, means manner of life. There's another one, anastrophe. Anastrophe means confused behavior. Paul said, you know my manner of life in the Jewish religion. You know, he said that in Galatians. So there's anastrophe. But there's another one, zoe. Zoe means life as God has it. Life in the absolute sense. That which the father has in himself. That which the incarnate son has in himself. See, when that life comes into a man's spirit, it recreates that man's spirit. And that life changes conduct. It corrects habits. It forms new ones. Criminals become law-abiding citizens. Prostitutes become moral. Thieves become honest. Drunkards become sober. No case is incurable. Amen. When that life comes into a man's spirit, it changes the man's spirit. The man becomes recreated. The man becomes reborn. Sometimes you hear people say, we need to die out to self. There's no such thing in scripture. You are not to die out to self. A translation of 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, is a new self. You are not to die out to self. It's the flesh we ought to crucify. Isn't self-flesh? Now, if you mean selfishness, yes, we ought to get rid of selfishness. But the new self is a new creature. He's a new man. He's a new man. He's a new man. He's a new species. In Romans 6.6, the Bible says that our old man was crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we shall not serve sin. See, that old man who used to live inside that body of yours, he was crucified on the cross. He died. To what end? That this body of sin, this body that still has the sin nature in it, might be destroyed. Destroyed there means to be rendered ineffective. So that it loses its power to dominate you. It says, and henceforth we shall not serve sin. So you see, man is a spirit. He has a soul. He lives in a body. At the new birth, our spirits are recreated. Now, the sin nature is in the flesh. It still is. That's why your body is aging. Yeah, because it has that law of sin working in it. In Romans 7, 22, Paul said, I delight and love God after the inward man. Now, he said, I see another law at work in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity of, of, uh, to the law of sin which is in my flesh. He said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now, what was Paul talking about in Romans 7, latter part of that chapter? He wasn't talking about himself as a Christian. He was talking about himself as a Jew under the law. Yes, with his mind, he, he, he delighted in the law of God. But he saw another law at work in his members. So you see, the law of sin is in the flesh. The principle of sin. When the Bible talks about the law of sin and death, it's at work in the body. The body has the sin nature. But you see, your spirit has been recreated. But after he said that, he now didn't end the discourse there. It starts with, in chapter 8, the first verse, when he said, there's therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, that last part is not in some translations. Verse 2 says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. That word free is Eleutherus, exempted me from the dominion of that principle of sin and death. So you see, there's a law of sin and death at work in the body. But the spirit of man, man's, Romans 8.10 says, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. It's still spiritually dead. It has a sin nature. It says, but the spirit is life. Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. 
That's why that law of the spirit of life really is righteousness. The spirit is life because of righteousness. So you see, at the new birth, God's life is imparted to a man's spirit. God's nature is imparted into a man's spirit. And it instantly recreates that spirit. Now, what should that new man now do? Simple. He's to let his recreated spirit dominate his soul and his body. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So, verse 17 says, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. It says, but if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. It says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. 22 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, so it's just one fruit, but it has nine parts, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, actually faithfulness. 23, meekness, temperance, says against such there is no law. Says they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Now, if you're born again, you actually live in the spirit. You are alive in your spirit. Your spirit has all those attributes inside it. Your flesh has all those other attributes. He lists 17 things and then he said, etc. So the 17, the list of 17 is not is not exhaustive. There are others in the same family. That is inside your flesh. See, talking about the flesh, there's a beast in all of us. Are you listening? In all of us. You don't want to let that beast out. You don't want to let that beast lose. But you see, in your recreated spirit, the life of God is there. The nature of God is there. So what are we to do? We're to let our recreated spirits dominate us. We're not to let our flesh dominate us. We're not to let our natural human thinking dominate us. Now, if a believer will renew his mind... His renewed mind will side in with his recreated spirit. And his recreated spirit, walking through his renewed mind, will subdue his flesh, will dominate his body. If a believer does not renew his mind, his unrenewed mind will side in with his unregenerate flesh. And his unregenerate flesh, walking through his unrenewed mind, will keep his recreated spirit a captive. And he won't be able to express the life of God that's in him. Now, let's look at some more scriptures about this new man, about this fact that we are reborn, this fact that we are recreated. In Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, remember we're talking about how to be strong in the Lord. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, Lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So the Bible talks about putting off the old man. And it talks about putting on the new man. Now, you see, that old man is actually dead. He's gone. But you see, the, your flesh, your body, still has the attributes of that old man. Are you listening? So the Bible talks about putting off the old man with his deeds. And it talks about putting on the new man, which after God, which like God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, like Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. You know, 
uh, if you read from uh, verse um, 17, Bible talks about having the understanding that can be alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that's in them because of the blindness of their hearts. You know, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to walk all uncleanness, greediness. Said, but ye have not so learned Christ, if to be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. 22 says that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts. 23 says, and be renewed in the attitude, in the spirit of your mind. 24 says, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So we're to put off the old man. We're to put on the new man. We're to let our recreated spirits dominate us. Now, the old man, that old spiritual man was dead. When Christ was crucified on that cross, he was crucified with him. When Christ died, he died with him. When Christ was buried, he was buried with him. When he went to hell, that old man went to hell with him. When Christ was made alive out of spiritual death, this new man was made alive with him. Amen. You know, the Bible talks about being loose from the throes of death, from the pangs of death, the birth throes. Those three days and nights in hell, that's when the church was being brought forth. And when Jesus was made alive, he was made alive first. When he was made alive, you were made alive with him. That new man was brought forth. Amen. When he was then raised from the dead, that new man was raised from the dead with him. You see, you are a new man. You are a new creature. You are not who you used to be. If the believer will maintain his confession that he's a new creature... If you just maintain that confession, I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. The life of God is in me. The nature of God is in me. I walk in the light of life. If you maintain your confession that you're a new creature, it's going to become easier, amen, to live that victorious life. The more you confess it, the more real it becomes to you. The less you confess it, the less real it gets to you. Listen, you're a new creature. That new man that you are has love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. And against such, there's no law. You are that new creature. You are that new man. You are in the God class. Amen. You have life as God has it. Now, as I wrap this up, I just want to say a few things about this new creature that you are. First, as a new creature, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. God is your father. By virtue of the new birth, you came into the family of God. You are his very own child. He's your very own father. Amen. Oh, what a thrill. The truth is this. There's no truth as far-reaching as the blessed fact that every one of us who's born again has come into the family of God. God loves us. John 17, 23 said, I in them and thou in me, that they be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So God loves you the same way he loved Jesus. That means God is with you like he was with Jesus. Jesus could say, you may all leave me. He said, but I'm not alone. My father is with me. Whoa, God is with you. God is for you. He's your father. He's a good father. He's a loving father. He's a caring father. I know you may have some bills lined up. I know you may have some things to sort out. But listen, <laughs> the creator of the universe is your father. El Shaddai is your father. Jehovah Jireh is your father. He's your father. 
First Peter 5, 7, he cares for you affectionately and he cares about you. In the Amplified Classic, watchfully, he's your father. He's your father. You are in his family. You are in his family. It's not about what church you belong. It's about whose family do you belong to. You're in the family of God. It's about the father and his family. And you're in that family. Second thing I'd like to just remind us of is this. As a new creature in Christ Jesus, you are one with the master. You are one with the master. 1 Corinthians 6.17 says, He that is joined to the Lord, he is one spirit. The margin says, he is one spirit with him. So you are in union with deity. Listen, Jesus is the head and you are the body. The head and the body make a unity. Are you listening? Now, I'm not saying I'm deity. I'm not deity. You're not deity. It's Jesus who is deity. But listen, I'm in union with deity. I'm tied up to deity. For me to go down in life, God will have to go down. For me to be defeated in life, God will have to be defeated. But listen, God can't be defeated. And that's why I won't be defeated. Because I know who I am in Christ Jesus. I'm tied up to deity. I'm in union with him. To come against me is to come against God. Amen. I'm one with him. I'm one with him. You see, union with God is the key to dominion. It's the key to reigning on this earth. And if you're born again, you are tied up to God. You are linked with God. You are linked with the omnipotent one. You are linked with the omniscient one. You are linked with the omnipresent one. You are one with him. Jesus said, I'm the vine. Ye are the branches. You see, sometimes you hear Christians say that, you know, God can do without us, but we can't do without him. God doesn't need us, but we need him. That's a lie. Yes, we need God. That's the truth. But listen, God needs us. That tree, the trunk, is not going to bear fruit without those branches. Those branches are not going to have life without the trunk. Jesus is the trunk. He's the vine. Picture a mango tree. We are the branches. We are the fruit-bearing part of the vine. See, God is not going to reach the sinner any other way but through the church. If the whole body of Christ decides we're going to strike and we're not going to reach the lost, God is not going to, God is not going to say, oh yeah, be striking. He's going to say, you people, let's talk. <laughs> Wait and be the team. Listen, because he doesn't have a plan B. In this dispensation, it's not angels that preach the gospel. It's men that do. So you see, we are one with him. We are one with him. So stop seeing yourself as a weakling. Stop seeing yourself as a little thing. You are in union with God. Remember David and those his mighty men. My God. How will one man kill 800 people when it's not a Chinese film? And it's not a film trick. You know, ha, ha, ha. You know, and then, ho, ho. No, it's not any of that. This is for real. They were invincible. They couldn't be conquered. They couldn't be defeated. David was one man in, in, the whole, in the Old Testament, the only man that we have record of that never lost a battle. Not one. Yeah, he might have lost a moral one, but never a physical battle. Never did. Never did. Even when he was where he shouldn't be, not doing what he should be doing, and doing what he shouldn't be doing, they still won. Listen, you are tied up to God. You are tied up to God. You are tied up to God. You have it made in life. You are not a failure. You are a success going somewhere to happen. There aren't enough forces in all the world to face the God that lives in you. Amen. Third thing about you, that new man, that new creature that you are, is this. 
Mark 9, 23 says, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Listen, all things are possible to you because you're a believing one. All things are possible to you. All things are possible to you. Impossibility is an opinion. Did you hear me? Impossible is an opinion. Is an opinion. Is an opinion. Is an opinion. And it's not God's opinion. It's not my opinion either. I'm a new man. I'm a new species. I'm of the God class. A superman on the earth. That's who you are. All things are possible to you. All things are possible to you. All things are possible to you. Are you faced with a daunting challenge? Is there a mountain that's looming large? You know, a Goliath that's raking and ranting in front of you. Just laugh. All things are possible to you. All things are possible to you. Take off the head of that giant. Glory to God. Get that mountain out of the way. All things are possible to you. All things are possible to you. Are there certain things in your heart? Certain dreams God has put in your heart. Certain goals God has put in your heart. And they look impossible. How will I have my own house in Abuja? How will I uh, have my own jet? I don't know if you're looking for one. You know, whatever it is. How will I get so many millions born again? How will I raise more dead people? How will I do more miracles? Listen, all things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to him that believeth. All things are possible to you. You are that believing one. All things are possible to you. All things are possible to you. Another year is upon us. Listen, all things are possible to you. Those dreams, those desires you've kept on the shelf, pick them up. All things are possible to you. 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 Look the devil in the face and say, devil, listen up. I'm a believing one. I'm a new creation. All things are possible to me. 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 And listen, it's not only possible, it's inevitable. If you will dare to act on the word of God. A new creature. All things are possible to you. And lastly, as the new creature that you are, God is on the inside of you. 1 John 4, 4 says, You have got little children and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is on the inside of you. <laughs> the master of creation is in you. The almighty God is in you. The all-knowing God is in you. What's he doing in you? Hitchhiking a ride through life. You know, I beg now. If you manage, I, I won't squat. If you squat inside till eternity comes, can I squat? Can I squat? Listen, he's no squatter. He's on the inside of you to put you over. He's on the inside of you to make you a success. He's bigger than sin. He's bigger than disease. He's bigger than lack. He's bigger than failure. He's bigger than adversity. He's bigger than impossibilities. And he's on the inside of you. God is on the inside of you. No wonder the Bible says all things are possible to him that believes. Because the God with whom all things are possible lives in him. God is in you. He will live big in you. He'll rise big in you. He'll give illumination to your mind. He'll give direction to your spirit. He will impart life, health, healing to your body. He'll put you over. Woo! Glory to God. Wake up in the morning and say, God lives in me. God lives in me. 
Many times when I'm going to lay hands on the sick, I'll say as we lay our hands on them. Yeah, somebody asked me one time, he said, you keep saying our, our, but you are the only one that laid hands. I wasn't the only one. As I laid mine, he laid his. We walked together. He's on the inside of me. <laughs> I carry divinity inside me. I carry deity inside me. God lives in 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 me. I'm fortified from within. You know, some people, they'll say, ah, what he, what he say, but boy, you know, you know, that the guy, they don't fortify him. <laughs> Listen, you are fortified from heaven. You are fortified by God. That's why no weapon formed against you can prosper. That's why, look, you have it made. <laughs> Says, if God be for us, who can be against us? God is on the inside of you. God is on the inside of you. God is on the inside of you. Who born sickness? Who born disease? They say it's COVID. Let it be anything. God is inside me. God is inside me. God is inside you. God lives in you. God lives in you. <laughs> you know, our father creates planets. The cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. The gold and the silver belong to him. If God has a problem, it's not money. <laughs> the earth is the Lord's the fullness thereof the world. And they that dwell therein. He's on the inside of you. He's on the inside of you. Glory to God. Well, that's shouting gun right there. Praise God. Wow, glory to God. 